Welcome to Managing Marketing and today I'm in uh, Melbourne, actually West Melbourne, and catching up with Sean Callahan, founder of Anecdote and author of the award-winning business book, Putting Stories to Work. Welcome, Sean. Nice to be here. Great to see you, Darren. Well, Sean, do you realise that you were the very first podcast that I ever recorded and that that is now three years ago? I can't believe it's been three years since you've been doing these podcasts. It's, it's flown by, hasn't it? Well, there's more than 70 of them. So, you know, there you go, two, uh, one every two weeks. So three years has gone relatively quickly, but a lot's happened. I mean, first of all, there's your book, Putting Stories to Work, which is a, a terrific uh, you know, terrific read, first of all, but also um, so practical as well of giving ideas on how to actually do things like collect stories and apply stories. Yeah, I mean, when I wrote it, I, I particularly wanted it to be this practical guide for people. You know, so many leaders that I'm working with are struggling with the ba real basics. Mm. Like everyone's talking about stories, but they talk, like last night I was coaching a, um, uh, a manager up in uh, Jakarta and he was just struggling with the basics. Like, how do I find these stories? Mm. Like, how do I... So they're the types of things we get down into the detail yeah. of that book, you know? And it's it been hugely successful, hasn't it? It's been translated into Chinese. Yes, it's yeah, the, we have the Mandarin version. And you've got uh, a hardback version, which is the original. Yes, And then right. we've had paperback as well, haven't you? Oh, it? yeah, yeah. And it's, it is, uh, I think by Australian standards, it's, it's called a bestseller. So. Okay, well, let's go with bestseller. <laughs> Award-winning, best-selling business book, which is, is just brilliant. But the other thing, um, uh, you guys have also started podcasting as well. Well, you've done podcasting before, but some a really successful podcast now. Yeah, look, we for a long time, we, we wanted to have a podcast, but we weren't sure what the format was going to be. Mm. And so we just started really responding to our customers. Our customers kept on saying, hey, you've taught us all these story techniques. But where do we find the stories? Mm. And we thought, oh, maybe we can have a podcast that just shared a story every week so that they could go and retell it in a business setting. And that's what our, our podcast is called, uh, Anecdotally Speaking. Mm -hmm. And in fact, we got nominated for a best podcast in the business uh, category uh, in the Australian Podcasting Awards. Fantastic. So that was kind of nice to go to the big gala event uh, a couple of weeks ago. Uh, Unfortunately, we missed out on the uh, the top, uh, you know, sort of uh, ticket, but that's okay. You know, next at year. least you were up there. You're you're on the bridal table. You may have come away the bridesmaid, but at least you're at the bridal table. That's right, exactly. So it was good. Now, last time we we talked a lot about uh, storytelling and and relating it to marketing. But this time, I was really interested because what I've noticed reading the, the articles that uh, you've been writing and the things that you've been sharing, there are so many different applications for sto in storytelling for business. Yes. You know, yes. And, and some of them that I've picked up is, you know, like storytelling for, to, for sales or selling yeah. and storytelling for pitching. And, and, and one that I found really interesting was, uh, you know, storytelling to help get strategy to stick within an organization yes, yes. It, it was really important and, and presentations I mean it's, there's so many different things that you can actually apply storytelling it's not just the big story is it no not at all and you know I always thought about I like to think of it more as story work right yeah. and sort of ex 
uh, abstract at one level and think about it in terms of, well, there's storytelling, there's story listening, and there's story triggering. And we can oh. talk about those three things. Okay. I mean, so sorry, storytelling, story listening, listening and story triggering. triggering. That's okay. right. So the listening is very much about how do you elicit stories so people tell you stories. Yeah. Okay. And uh, and we use this really quite a lot in projects to find out what's really happening in a business. So, for example, I'm just finishing a project with a big construction company, looking at diversity and inclusion. And we went and collected 150 stories of good and bad behaviour around diversity and inclusion. Right. And you can just imagine what some of those stories are like, right? And what we do then is we then get the leaders to work out what are the patterns of behaviour in all those stories. And what's so interesting is when they do that, they engage emotionally with it. Mm. Right? So it's not just, it's just not the numbers. If you were to do an analysis, you get a different feeling for what you learn. Whereas if when you do it with stories, you know, the emotions there and people are going, oh my God, we've got to do something about that. Yeah, no, I think that, that's, that's to me, it's really interesting, you know, sort of change in how they see it. What resonates for me and, and really got me then was the fact that we're doing a lot of work where, you know, traditionally marketing has been strategy, structure, process. Yeah. But how often all of this sits on a platform of sort of culture, corporate culture, right? And it's such an interesting thing, culture, because, you know, you could say to someone, well, what's the culture of your organisation? And people immediately go to those, what I call weasel words, you know, like, oh, well, we're about integrity and collaboration. And, you know, it's this list of values that they're trying to describe culture. And um, and then uh, what you've just said is the best way of actually capturing culture is getting people within that environment to tell stories about what life is like, you know, what happens there at the worst times and the best times. And you absolutely can distill the culture of an organisation by the predominant stories, couldn't you? Oh, absolutely. I have to tell you this um, embarrassing thing that happened to me uh, just a few weeks ago along the culture line, right? And exactly in that space of values. I'm, at a, I'm running a, a program with a, a big tech company in Silicon Valley, right? And, and we go on to the topic of culture. And I said to them, well, tell me what some of your you know, values are. And of course, creativity, da, da, da. And the I said, same, I, they're always the they're same. Always like, the same. It's like a shopping list There's the shopping of things list. that you must have. And I said to them, you know, quite frankly, uh, unless you can share an experience that illustrates one of those things, I'm a bit suspicious as to whether that's really a value. And I turned to the guy who happened to be standing next, sitting next to me, and I said to him, so uh, creativity, give me an example of creativity. And he goes, um, uh, can't think of anything. Mm -hmm. And I said, see, that's my, that's my point. I think he turned out to be the head of creativity or something oh, for the no. organisation. No. Yeah, it was a bit of a, a, bit of a f false step for me, but, but at the same time, it made my point. Now, here is a guy that is working in creativity, yet he couldn't give an example of creativity in his organisation. Now, part of that can be when you put someone on the spot, yes. yep. right? Yep. They, yep. Yeah, they, they go struggle to find an example. Yep. But I think it's also because as soon as you label these values of culture, yeah. they take on a life of their own, which almost stops them becoming lived. 
You know, it's like, uh, how many times have you walked into a big corporation? I'm sure this has happened to you. And they have this sort of mission statement or our values are. Yes. And it's because they're there. Yeah. That immediately you stop having to live them because we've stuck them up on the wall. So that means that, you know, symbolically we've built our altar so no one has to pray to it anymore. That's it. Exactly. <laughs> and the other thing that can happen too is people focus on the really big stories, mm. whereas it's a lot of little stories that end up making your culture. It's like the, you know, concatenation mm. of all those stories. Uh, I remember chatting with a, um, a supermarket and they were talking about customer service as their big thing. And I said, oh, have you got any examples? And they told me this example about this poor, you know, this elderly gentleman came into one of their supermarkets, fell, smacked his head on the floor, there was mm. blood. Uh, but, you know, the staff came in and they, they did all the right things and went down to his house and got his wife. And, you know, the, yeah, it's you a know, huge story big, that happens once, once. How in a lifetime. Of that supermarket. We, yeah. we have a, uh, we have a uh, process for sorting out when people come to us with problems. Yeah. We put them through three tests. Amplitude. How big is the problem? Yes. Uh, frequency. How often does it happen? Because sometimes small problems that happen every day. Yeah. And the other one that I like is recency. It's not a real word, but how recently did it happen? Yeah. Because if something happened yesterday, I'm more likely to think of it and therefore it's more present for me. Yeah. And I think stories are the same thing. People are inclined to hold on to these big amplitude stories yes. when, as you say, it's what's happening every day. Yeah. That are the ones because you know the best example would be uh, the supermarket where they know uh, Mrs. Jones likes a particular brand, so they put, just put that aside for her so that when she comes in, there's a pack for That's her. That's right. That's a, it's as simple as that because that says buckets about caring for an individual. Indeed, and it's the small S storytelling I call that. It's the small stories, and the, the, I like to think of it. If you want to change a culture you need to change the stories that have been told. And so, you know, this story listening exercise is all about finding out what are the stories being told. Like most people, most leaders have no idea what stories are being told. Okay, so I've got a, uh, a, a question on that, which is by changing the stories being told, is it a matter of identifying the right stories that are already being told and amplifying them so that they're more contagious, you know, that people are more likely to look for those types of stories. Or as some people will say, and I've seen consultants that do this, they say they're storytelling consultants who will come in and start planting stories into an organization to be told as a way of changing culture. Real stories? Like stories that actually oh, they make happen. up stories. They make up stories. Yeah. These are the stories that you know, no, we want no, no. you to tell. That's that's ridiculous. Because they say by people telling these stories, even if they're even vaguely based on actual stories, no. they will... That, to me, I mean, if they did that, that would be a disaster, I think, in organisations. But, but, but Sean, there's, there's the storytelling. <laughs> and how long have you been doing... Like, as long as I've known you, you've been talking and doing storytelling. Yes. Um, this is like... This, huge, this is huge business. I've this heard. is like... Yeah. There are people out there that have jumped on the storytelling bandwagon um, and, and making it up. Yeah, yeah, look. Well, <laughs> like a good story. Personally, personally uh, yeah, I'm all, I do get the question quite often, especially when I'm running storytelling for sales programs. You know, the sellers like to say, you know, what well, do these stories have to be real or can we just make them up? 
I say, no, don't, don't make them up. You know, you're, there's plenty of good stories out there. You don't have to, to make these things up. Uh, but in terms of answering your question, like how do you get these stories you know, flowing through an organisation, am- amplifying is definitely a one way of doing it. Yeah. But the other way is story triggering, where you get leaders to do remarkable new things where people will just tell stories about it, right? Yeah. So it's a combination of those two things. Uh, there's a lovely quote by William Gibson. It's probably a bit old now. People have heard it a million times, but I love it. And that is this idea of, you know, the future is already here. It's just unevenly distributed. Right? <laughs> and, and, and so, you know, in a big organisation, the future's already happening somewhere. You just have to find that story and tell it to other parts of the organisation. And the way I like to tell it is to finish it by saying, you know, here, here's what's happening over in this part of the organisation, and then just finish by saying, and imagine if we could do that everywhere. Yeah. Right? So that's the future being sort of springboarded, if you like. Yeah. So, yeah, I think... Uh, it's interesting to sort of see different ways. I'm really interested in this embedding stories in organisations, but but real stories and how do you amplify and how do you get them moving? Well, uh, I remember, you know, because um, we used to do a regular Sunday walk. Yes, I and, miss those walks. Though, and I remember, uh, you know, one of the film examples that you brought up was Reservoir Dogs, where he's training Mr Orange on how to take a story that really happened, yes. but then make it his own by telling it over and over again and adding his own details to the story yes. so that it became his. Because yeah. I think that's one of the, you know, people talk about authenticity. Now, authenticity comes from two places. One is it's based in, you know, it is true, a true story. Yes. The other is that the storyteller owns the story. Yeah. Like that they have it as part of who they are, so it comes across as being authentic. Yes. Right? Um, you know, I agree with you. You don't make up stories because then they're just fairy tales, you know, or, yeah. or yeah. works of fiction. But, you know, great stories have an element of based in truth, but it's when the storyteller themselves is clearly not telling a story in quotations, but is sharing an experience that's, that's coming across. And and the important thing for me is the emotional part of that. Oh, yeah, it's, it's vital. Um, uh, and it's so nice to watch. Uh, last year, late week, I was in Perth and doing some work with one of the big resource companies. Mm. And we've been working on their strategy story, right? Telling the story of their strategy. Now, when you, when you do a strategy story, the, you know, like the vanilla version is one which is not uh, highly connected to people. So that what you, exactly what you're saying, you have to help the tellers find their own personal examples, mm. right? And it so gives them, gives them access to the power of that story. That's it. And it's yeah. so fascinating watching them do this because, you know, they learn the vanilla version and then I sort of say, okay, so, you know, when they're in that turning point, you know, where it all changed... Can you remember that? And they go, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Can mm. you remember something that happened? And they go, oh. And they'll remember some experience they had that really illustrated that turning point. And then I said, okay, now tell that to your colleague, but with your turning point. Mm. The feedback, the whole thing changes for them. Mm. It becomes their story. It's personal. It's personal, right. And people relate to that personal interaction yes that sharing of something that clearly means something to them yes is what you, what you take on board and you know there are a number of people in the group who didn't even work for that company when this all happened mm. right they were like three weeks four weeks in to working for this company but they were able to tell it from the outsider's perspective 
Like, right. And it was still yeah. totally effective and authentic because it was their view of how it all happened and how it played out. So, you know, I think you're right. It's just getting that uh, moment, that personal moment makes all the difference. See, I, I find it really, th this area of storytelling, which you've done a lot of work in, you know, this idea of uh, stra the strategy story. Yes. Uh, really interesting because, you know, and I think it was you that shared the uh, Harvard Business Review paper from 2005 on how many strategies fail. Yeah, right. Because they're not actually... You know, the, the organization doesn't own the strategy because the strategy has been turned into a very boring, you know, document or a, a, a manifesto that really doesn't resonate or mean anything. Yeah. And um, in marketing, everyone's talking about uh, the brand purpose or the organizational purpose. Uh, and then they try and construct the story that goes with the purpose when in actual fact if the company is living the purpose and aligned to it, it's going to generate stories anyway well, in everyday life. That's the thing that amazes me with um, that field and that there's this idea that there is the story, mm. like there's one story. I mean, imagine if you're in a big corporation, you know, what's your one story? I don't know, it's pretty rare to find something like that. I mean, like you say, it's about the multitude of stories that get told. You might have to, a story that will explain your strategy, Right, someone will say, sort of say, okay, you've got these three strategic choices that you've made. Why do we make those choices? Mm. Well, let me tell you. Yeah, you know, it was like this, and then these things changed, and then we did that, and so that's why it's so necessary for us to do this. Mm. And you know, that's a you know, that can be quite a compelling, you know, story. But you know, the thing that I, I've learned probably the most about these strategy stories is that most companies don't have a strategy. Mm. Well. Not a strategy Not they articulate. can articulate. Yeah, that's what I, probably what I mean. Yeah. There's a strategy being lived out somewhere, yeah. right? It's a no, no, we find that a lot. You know, yeah. Even marketing uh, says, yes, we have a strategy. And then they'll say, oh, well, uh, you know, what's the strategy? Oh, well, you know, we're wanting to be customer-centric. No, that's sort of your objective. How are you going to become customer-centric? Yes, yeah. your strategy. Yeah. And even better, to give us an example of what it would look like if you were customer centric you know if you could actually live that yeah, yeah. what would how change for people out? what would change how would they I mean I think it's fascinating with what's happening with banks and royal commissions in that we've clearly got a financial sector that says one thing yes on the surface and behaves very differently against their values and purpose that they articulate when it gets into an operational level it'll yeah. be interesting to see the stories that come out of this as far as the yeah. way they transform or take on board the criticisms that are being levelled against them. I think that's one of those classic examples of the difference between what people say versus what they do, mm -hmm. right? So they might say integrity and openness and transparency and... Honesty. Yeah, honesty and all those sort of things. But then they say, hit your numbers, you know, and um, and every week they Shareholder have the sales. Value. Yeah, exactly. So, you know, it's just the system keeps pushing people in a certain direction. Um, so, yeah, I think there's some real weird uh, mismatches mm. in those industries. I'm probably any of those big you know, companies with a lot of pressure, uh, you know, sort of that culture of um, driving to make profit, I think, is... Um, is, is bound to do that. But, but then on the other hand, you have companies that seem to be able to navigate through that 
in a real and way. And maintain their integrity. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Actually live what they do. Yes. Do what they and, say. And I think part of it is is having those... I'm very impressed with the, the Mars uh, Organization, yeah. And I think part of it is because the leaders um, see the Mars family, who are kind of, you know, they're all billionaires, but they're very down-to-earth people. And still hands-on in the Very hands-on. And if they see people, you know, behaving in an incorrect way, like I heard one story where they uh, came down to uh, one of their officers in the country, I won't say which country it was, and um, they noticed that everyone had bought not just the company car, but a, a fancier car, right? And they sort of went beyond, if you like, the, the dollar amount that they provided for, you know, for executives' cars. Mm. And so the families, first of all, said this is you know, totally out of line. And then they went and made up, um, got those cars painted with the Mars on the side of it. Right. So they sort yeah. of said, yeah, sure. If you no, can. I've, I've heard nothing but, uh, you know, everyone you talk to. Yeah. And, and uh, one of our uh, senior consultants in Singapore for a long time worked for the Mars Corporation yes. in marketing right? and has nothing but positive things. And we had a conversation about that. Part of it is that the founder's story, which is still carried by the family, because that, uh, is still alive and well yes. in the organisation. It's interesting when you look at very large organisations that may have had a founder once upon a time, but suddenly now it's... Uh, the senior management and the, the board are appointed based on delivering best shareholder value yeah. and are no longer aligned or, uh, or, or uh, own the original founder's story. Yeah. You know, why did they start the business? What was the values that they had? What was the opportunity that they saw? How did they make it grow? What did they have to overcome to make it successful? And can, and can I tell you, uh, a lot of those companies too... You know, you have this situation where they see purpose statements and um, values and things as just the marketing that you need to do to entice customers. Yeah. Right? They don't really believe it. I, I remember sitting in a meeting where I had all the executives and I, I thought they really believed in uh, having customers at the oh, set. Oh, so cute. I know. I know. And, and so I was sort of pitching, tick, tick, pitching tick. my whole thing around customers at the centre of their uh, organisation. And as I mentioned it, it was a big round table, actually. And... Um, well, they went, oh! Ha yeah, half of the executives rolled their eyes. <laughs> like, you idiot. Yeah. <laughs> well, a part of it is just to do that. You know, it's tick the box. Yeah. You know, well, we've, we've got our purpose, we've got our values. Yes. Right, now let's get on with making money. Yeah. yeah. Which country can we pollute now and, and how can we avoid tax in as many places as possible? Yeah, it's, it's so disappointing when you see that, but uh, luckily you've got the good ones as well. Yeah. <laughs> well, um, so I wanted to uh, also, because you mentioned uh, storytelling for sales. Yes. And also storytelling for pitching. Now, the, from my perspective, they're sort of one in the same. They're yes. slightly different yeah. in one that you're, you know, comes down to a moment of pitching, but and sales can be a longer a longer process. But yes. what are the core things about storytelling in each of those? Well, one of the, one of the of? one of the things uh, in both of those is about how do you quickly establish rapport? Mm -hmm. You know, so you walk into that room. Say if you're pitching something, how do you walk into the room? and quickly establish rapport with the people you're pitching with. And one of the great ways is to be able to, you know, share a quick story that shows that you care. 
Mm. Right? It's not just the numbers uh, that this is important to you. We did this uh, project for a big architectural firm and they were um, uh, pitching for a, a big uh, new building at a university. Mm-hmm. And the head architect was, we're trying to help him find that story. And he's pulling his hair out. And then he happens to mention that he'd gone to a meeting with the vice chancellor uh, at the university. And as he was leaving, he called his Uber. He's at the top of the hill of the university and the Uber's arriving. And he turns around, he looked, he's looking at the university. He's going, this is such a beautiful university. And he cancels his Uber and spends the next two hours just wandering through the university mm. and enjoying the architecture and how it's all put and together. And the atmosphere and, and the, the aesthetics. Yeah. And, yeah. I said, that's your that's story. That's your story, yeah, right? Exactly. That's where you start. You've gone beyond just this is another project. Yes. So you've now got an emotional uh, inta- attachment or a commitment to it beyond just doing a job. Exactly, exactly. And then, you know, uh, we were talking before about, you know, just how it's so useful to have you know, those success stories of where you've helped people tackle similar problems and, you know, mm. it might be a different industry or a similar industry, it doesn't really matter. But it turns out that we're very influenced, we're most engaged if something is similar enough that we're comfortable, but different enough that we sparks our attention. Mm. And it's this little balancing act that we're doing, right? Yeah. So you've got to find these stories that people go, yeah, oh, yeah, that's similar. oh it's a bit different, you know? And it's, that's what you're after. So, um, you know, we obviously help a lot of companies select agencies. And we also work with agencies to help them with the way they present themselves. You know, yes. they pitch or um, their credentials, you know. Why choose us is basically the meeting reason. And the single biggest mistake, because, you know, I meet with these agencies and, and they pay for the service, you know, that's because we're providing value. But I'll meet with them and I'll get them to present their credentials. Yes. It might be 45 minutes, it might be an hour. They all make the single biggest mistake, which is that they talk about themselves and then they show the proof or the case studies, which are the stories. So they'll say things like, you know, we're very results focused on slide three, but then I have to wait till slide 37 where they show a case study of uh, how their results focused. And I keep saying to them, stop thinking of case studies as things to just tick the boxes that you have to have. And what is the best case study to reinforce everything you've claimed at the front of the presentation? And don't tell it as a case study, tell it as a story. You know, because every case study has a client came to me with this problem or opportunity. This is what we saw as, you know, could be done. You know, even if there's some hurdles that had to be overcome. And this is what happened. And this is the result. You know, yeah. it's, it's a nice yeah, yeah. self-contained story um, that supports what you say. So instead of saying we're results focused and then 20 minutes later give a case study, say... Look, you know, results are important to us. Like that uh, time that we worked, uh, we had such and such came and talked to us about, you know, their results were falling. They couldn't find a way out of it. So we worked with them, got this really great insight on what was happening in the marketplace. And we came up, worked together to come up with a great plan on how we could turn that around with this campaign and achieved great, you know, this result within six months is infinitely more believable than saying we're results focused or we collaborate. Well, you know what it does is it gets the audience to say they're results focused. Yeah. 
Now, isn't that a better thing for them to work it out for themselves than you tell them? I mean, That's then right. they own it, right? There's that beautiful study where they uh, were putting people in MRI scanners and they got one person to tell a story and the other one was listening to the story whilst you know scanning their brains. And the thing that they first noticed was that the brains lit up more or less exactly the same way and they were calling, calling it sort of the brains became in sync. Um, but here's the bit that really interests me is every now and then the listener's brain pattern got ahead of the teller's mm. brain. Isn't that cool? Yeah. They're predicting. Yeah. They're predicting. They fill the gaps. They fill they, the gaps yeah. and they're going, oh, I reckon this is going to... And it turns out the people who predicted to move forward, they had a higher comprehension, mm. right? So this because is what they're, you're they're, after. They're, not lis they're listening. Yes. But they're also actively engaged in working out the meaning of what's been what's said. What's been said, exactly. Now, um, it's uh, described as the um, sense-making brain. Like... We live in this world that is often appears chaotic, so our brain is constantly trying to make sense. Yes. When you tell a story, especially one that's engaged the audience, yes, they're making sense of it. Yeah. yeah. And the more bits that they can fill in for themselves, as long as you don't leave it too big that they could end up with the wrong solution, yeah. the more engaged they are. I, I, and I read something just recently which has gave me a slightly different take on it as well, an additional sort of perspective. Uh, the writer was saying that, um, you know how we have that uh, visual blindness when, um, say if you're comparing two images and your job is to work out what's different between the two images, it's kind of hard to do, mm -hmm. right? Because the things are not moving. Our eyes are sort of really uh, being evolved to notice movement. Yes. Right? Yep. And, and a story, if this happens and that happens yeah. and this, it's movement. Yeah. Right, and because it's movement, you're you're going. Ah. The you way know, you visualize, you're visualizing your brain. Yeah. It's like you're you're noticing the movement, mm. right? And I think that, again, that's a, a, a really strong reason why stories work, right? Well, they say powerful. You know, radio dramas, uh, audio books. You know, for a lot of people, create more vivid uh, images in their brain than reading or even seeing the film. Yeah, because seeing the film, it's all there, right? Reading it, you're turning, for some people, turning written words into actually hearing it in their head, yes. you know, that voice in their head, and That's then the pictures, which is why it's so popular. I guess why podcasting is popular too. Yeah, <laughs> as long as people tell a few stories, right? <laughs> now, um, we've talked about uh, storytelling, we're story listening yes. and story triggering. Uh -huh. But, uh, Sean, you know, I, I got into a bit of trouble recently because there's, uh, I'll say it, some consultant going around promoting in Melbourne and Sydney at the moment that storytelling is pointless and that you have to get into story showing. Story showing. And and did you get a sense of what story showing was? Well, the just telling people's not enough. You right. actually have to demonstrate the what, point in a Marcel Marceau sort of... Uh, I'd have to pay the ridiculous uh, <laughs> fee to attend. So I think I actually put on the, it was either LinkedIn or Facebook, I, I actually tagged you, I'm, I'm surprised you, I said, uh, Sean, another bit of uh, story uh, nonsense. Yeah. And the guy whose event it is said, why did you even bother making this comment? So, okay. well, so sensitive, sensitive. Yeah, sensitive. Well, I, you know, I, story I, showing and story doing are yeah. the two big things. Well, so I'm familiar with the story doing uh, movement, if you like, 
and it's a total fallacious idea, right? It's this it's what it's what consultants do when they're trying to create a name for themselves. They take something and then they create a a new idea which doesn't really exist. So what they're saying is, well, look, you've got storytelling, and storytelling is for those companies who tell their story. And then you've got those people who live their story, right, who actually do things. And that's they reckon that's the difference between storytelling and story doing. It's kind of saying there's a whole bunch of companies out there that are just um, are just spinning it, mm. I suppose. That's but they but they're associating that with storytelling. Mm. As if it's some sort of maligned, you know, activity. Well, I think that's because there are consultants out there yeah. that are using storytelling in the completely wrong way. You know, we, we've seen uh, websites with brand stories that are yes. not stories. They're yeah. a list of, you know, facts about yeah. the company. Uh-huh. We've seen uh, people telling uh, 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 purpose stories which are not stories, they're, they're just, again, uh, it's a narrative, but with no story to it. You know, it's like someone just sprouting off a yeah, lot well, of it's, stuff. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. You know, that's, that's my first test, right? If someone says something about that they're working in story, hmm. they need to be able to tell some stories. So yeah. I would love to come to this guy's um, talk, right, and just listen, you know, that in an hour talk, does he actually tell any stories? Because if he doesn't, I'd be going, it's a, you know, it's just like those people who talk about values and then can't tell you an example of it. I mean, it's just well, got a question mark around it. Sean, I don't think he'd tell stories because he's already said storytelling's old hat. He'd be probably busy doing stories. Yes, well, how does that work? Oh, that's the bit I'd love to see. If I could see that, I think that would be an entertaining afternoon. Actually. Yeah, I just can't bring... Uh, and it is a problem, isn't it? Because people co-opt a particular quite you know, robust and established concept. Yes. And then try and either uh, belittle it and, and demean it to say there's something better, better or that they've come up with some proprietary improvement. Yeah, TM. Or, yeah, and, and all that as a way of differentiating themselves when I think both of us have got enough experience of storytelling that when you do storytelling, it works brilliantly. Yeah, exactly. Well, it just reminds me, I was driving through a Carlton the other day and there was a pizza shop and across the top, it had inauthentic pizza. Yeah. <laughs> you shared that. I put it on my Instagram, right? Yeah. I just, because, you know, and again, it's just, again, that whole marketing thing. Everyone's talking about authentic this and authentic. Ah, shit, we'll just have inauthentic pizza. It stops it's brilliant. Yeah, it's yeah, brilliant, it right? It's, so this is, this is the strategy. The yeah. strategy is just take something that we all disrupt it. No, yeah. and we go. Oh no, that's crap. We need to do the opposite, yeah. right? And that's the whole storytelling, story doing thing. It's a marketing little sleight of hand, right? Yeah. You know, it will that will fade. You know, over time. I mean, we've been telling stories literally before, and this is what I talk about in my book. We've been telling stories before we even had verbal language. Yeah. Right? I mean, that's how long this is in our DNA, right? So uh, I don't know how much story showing. Though I have to say, the way in which we told stories uh, before language was actually through mime. So maybe they're going back to that. <laughs> acting out, acting the, out the story. Wow. Well, yeah, I, uh, very early on, and I'm not sure if I did it naturally or whether it was because of our many conversations, but. What I find is when I meet with the client and especially when we get to the point of the conversation where they start sharing with me 
what's often their, uh, the symptoms of the problem yes. or what they perceive as the problem, but it's not necessarily the problem. I find it really important to be able to share with them an, a story or example of someone that we've worked with and how we went through that process of, first of all, identifying, you know, they came with these complaints or these yeah. issues and how we then worked through to find out what the particular problem was, what the underlying cause was. Yes. And then worked on developing together a solution that they could then take and implement. Yeah, yeah. The, the two things, well, three things it does. The first, as you said before, it builds up this immense sense of rapport because if I pick the right example, it shows that I have empathy and understanding yep. of what they're facing. You understand, yep. It establishes my credentials of being able to deal with this. You've done it before. And it also alleviates, I find, a lot of the uh, stress or anxiousness that they have around this problem by knowing that they're not alone because often they will be feeling that they're facing this alone. And to say, share of where it's been similar, not exactly the same, but similar somewhere else, has this effect on people of going, oh, okay, so it's not like I've got this incurable disease. Yeah, right, right. Yeah. exactly. It's yeah. something that's been treated yeah, before. Yeah, and people very Incredibly powerful. Yeah. And it could be something that, you know, could be a one or two minute com part of the conversation, but has a dramatic effect on that level of engagement. How do you find your stories? Like, how do they come to your attention, do you think? Um, well, I'm just aware of them. I'm aware of them. I'm also, I have a brain that thinks in metaphors. You do. And so I find that my story listening and story recall is very similar to recounting metaphors. Right. So, so that, you know, if I can't think of a story, I will default to a metaphor. Right. Right? Because that's another way. It's not as powerful because it's very rarely directly related to the situation. You know, it's a, it's a metaphor. It's, it's yeah. you know, a, th a third step away. I think the two things, the thing that's similar between a metaphor and a story is they're both visual. Yeah. Yeah, you often sort of say, oh, yeah, it's just like being in a forest and, you know, and, and trying to find the right tree or whatever it might be. Yeah, but it also simplifies the problem. It simplifies it. Yeah, and I yeah. think that's also powerful because yeah. people feel like, you know, it, it, they're able to then think of it in a more tangible, simplified form than in what could often be built up as being a big issue for them. Yeah, because that's, I mean, that's the way I... Yeah, it's interesting because, I mean, I think, and it's almost like a switch... For some people, that switches on, right? Where the, the stories are flowing around you and you can see them, right? And, you know, you go, oh, that's a good one, that's a good one. But there's a lot of people who don't see any of those stories. Right. Right? It's just to them, you ask them what's happened over the last few weeks, they have not, they can't tell you any specifics. Mm. And it's trying to help them switch on that story, you know, that ability, um, which is, I think, yeah, it's a great challenge in some ways, but it's also fabulous when you see it. On. And do you think some of that is the fact that they perhaps have a perception of story which is quite narrow, um, you know, in that the more traditional, you know, the big S story, yes. the fairy tale story, that type of thing, that they actually have never been given an appreciation that story exists in everyday life, in yeah. every interaction. I think that's it. They're, they're looking for that big, big, bigger story. By the way, in, when I go to the US and do this work, I have to be careful because uh, they hear 
big S as big ass. <laughs> the big ass. Yeah, the big ass stories. <laughs> uh, yeah, that's true. You'd have yeah, to be careful. You'd be careful of that. No, but you're right. I think they do. And then when you start to help them realise, oh, no, no, it's like when you went down and, and played soccer with your kid on Saturday. That mm. could be a story. Really? Or, you know... Um, yeah, it's a, yeah, those tiny uh, little things that are, occur, all of them can be a part of the things that help you make a business point. Yeah, that's right. And it doesn't have to be business related. It can be any part of life because it, it's, you know, or metaphorical or, you know, it's a, an, a, an, a simile of uh, what's actually happening. happening yeah, yeah, exactly. In fact, I was chatting to this, this guy, um, I was doing some work with, he was talking about just how complex his world is and how fast and messy it is. And I said to him, do you have any kids? And he goes, oh, I've got a 12-year-old. I said, have you seen them, like, play uh, soccer, you know, and they're all just going crazy around that little ball, you know, as they're young kids. And, uh, you know, you sort of, you can sort of see, oh, that's, again, it's, these are metaphorical stories. Yeah, this yeah. Is when you combine the two, right? But as you said before, when you're telling that story and the listener gets to make that leap, just as you did for him. You know, you told the story of the way kids all get around the ball and they forget all about the game strategy and yep. everyone just wants to get the ball. And then he went, bang, bang, oh my God, the payoff was for him. Yeah. Which makes it you know, even more powerful for him. Exactly. And that's what it's about. Sean, time gets away. It does. Unbelievable. Um, really enjoyed catching up. Yeah, likewise. Uh, first podcast we did together now I'm, I'm not sure i've like about 70 something but, 70 something uh, very good but, uh you know great to catch up and thank you for sharing uh well all of the things the stories about the way anecdote and yourself of uh you know the book the uh the podcast is called anecdotally uh, speaking anecdotally speaking that's on itunes and all the all popular the podcasts right yes um so everyone should make sure to have a listen pick up some stories that they could use for their business why not have them in the back pocket and uh are there any stories that you've collected that are what do they call it not suitable for work can you share one mm-hmm.